Hi, and thank you for listening to this second episode of Media Mystic. I'm your host, Kristen Harlow. Today, I sit down with intuitive medium, psychopomp, and tarot reader Dana DeSico to discuss reincarnation, the evolution of humanity, shamanic journeying, and so much more. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too. Thank you for sitting down with me today. Uh, you you and I met because we we share the same mentor, right? And um, and we began practicing mediumship at pretty much the same time. Maybe a little bit of variation there, but I think pretty much at the same time we we started practicing and um, working with our our connection to spirit. And um, you have such a rich, um, creative connection to spirit, a really intelligent connection to spirit that um, is just, it's palpable when you're delivering a message because you are also a member of my weekly um, meetup group where we practice our mediumship skills. And so I, I see you work a lot and um, it's it's just, like I said, it's palpable, uh, your your intelligence and your creativity. And, and one of the ways that you express your, your spiritual gifts is by engaging your um, psychopomp nature, right? You, you call yourself a psychopomp. Um, would you, I do. Yeah. Would, would you talk about that a little bit for the people listening who might not know what that means or would like a little more detail about it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. First, I just want to thank you for those words. Them coming from you means the world to me. Oh, um, it you. truly, truly does. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. You you asked me if I call myself a psychopomp. I do, but I've been thinking about that's a word most people, they just don't know what it means. They do not know what it is. They have no accessibility to it. They don't have a context for it. I think that I, I wonder sometimes if it, I would do myself more justice to call myself a rescue medium, mm. you know? I'm really thinking about, you know, the origins of where everything comes from. And I came across a memory I had um, of doing psychopomp services as a child. I had no idea what I was doing then. I had no context or no anything for it. I, um, you know, I've always seen and sensed spirits um, from a young age. It's probably safe to say there wasn't a time when I never did, you know. Um, but I also learned really early on that it wasn't something that you talked about. <laughs> it wasn't something that people were going to understand. Um mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there was a lot of shutting away of myself and there was a lot of fear that got tangled up in that. Um, but I remember a moment um, being in bed late at night and spirits used to come and, and you know, they would come around my bed um, and I would see them. Sometimes they would be in the room. Sometimes they'd be at the foot of the bed. Sometimes they would be next to me. Um, I remember one time seeing a spirit as a child floating above me. Mm. Um, and there was a woman that was connected to the house. And at the time, I didn't understand any of this, but I can piece it together as an adult, you know, with, with the perspective that I have. And she would show up in my room at night um, and she would watch me. And I just remember her seeming so sad. You know, she scared me. She was sad and she scared me. And 
and she kind of had on a long kind of like white nightgownish thing. And I can remember this very vividly. I think I could assess my memories visually, you know, so kind of like a snapshot of them. And I can see her standing there. She had this weird sort of scrunchy thing on her head, which I know now is something women put on their head when they went to bed for the oils of their hair and things like this. Um, and I remember one night, you know, her standing there and staring at me. And I remember all of a sudden my bed was at the foot of my bed was the window. And I remember the light opening up in the window and the light was so bright. It was as if you took sunlight. It was as if you were staring in directly into the sun, but it was in my bedroom in the window in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And that light opened um, and she she went into it, you know, she just, she went into it. And I truly believe that my guides as a child helped me to do this work. You know, they helped wow. me because I think there had to be some sort of release for it. You know, like I, I think, you know, I think it was, I think I spent a lot of my childhood walking that line between, you know, being fascinated by it and being afraid of it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I realized that, you know, I was crossing spirits, or at least one time I crossed a spirit as a child. And I had no clue what I was doing. I had no clue what happened. What What is the feeling that you get? Or how, how does it work when you, when you recognize that a spirit requires crossing? What happens in that moment? I would say spirits that need to be crossed, they feel different. Um you know, we've, we've, we've had so many times where we've worked together, whether it's shamanic journeying or just working in circle together, where we sense all the different types of spirits that can come to us, whether it's a guide or angelic beings or extraterrestrial energy, elementals, and they all have a little bit of a different feeling to them. Um, yeah. Kind of like the way you eat something tastes different. If you have something salty or sour or sweet, you know. Um, And for me, I would say there is when you have a spirit that needs to be crossed, there's a, it could be a feeling of anxiety in the air or a feeling of um, a stomach ache or some sort of, I may feel a way in which they felt when they died, maybe Mm -hmm. Um, the feeling of the impact that they were hit by a car or the feeling of it hurting where they may have been shot. Um, that was a real struggle for me in the beginning. Uh, that was something our mentor really helped me work through. It was a real struggle because it scared me so much. It's hard to, to have your body not be your own body anymore. I think, too, when we talk about a psychopomp, when we talk about, you know, someone consciously and aware, you know, with awareness facing their own death, you know, that they have, you know, whether it's through illness or whatever other reason may be causing it, you know, it's, I can't, you know, the, the, the journey to that is, I can only imagine how insanely hard and difficult that would be, but it also holds a possibility for a great gift too, you know, because you can do the work or find the tools or, or find the person around you to help you with that. You know, there's people out there who do the work, you know, death doulas who work with people that are in that process. And then I've thought about doing that and, and, and it feels like maybe not the right fit for me, but at the end of the day, but I think it's important when we talk about a psychopomp to really think about what are the conditions in which someone makes someone get to the point that they haven't crossed over to the other side, you know, like what is like, what is that thing that puts someone in that limbo? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's usually, it's, it's a death that's, you know, sudden, it's a death that's unexpected, a death that's violent, a death that is like so unjustifiably unfair you know whatever that reason is you know or maybe it's something that happened in their life you know a forgiveness that they 
don't think they're going to get when they cross into the light or a fear of where they're going to go. I think there's so many things tied up into that. Yeah. And, and, you know, what that light is, is, you know, I think it's, I can only speak to what I've sensed or I've seen or, you know, spirits showing me, but I think, I mean, that's kind of the greatest mystery. And, and I think that it's not the same for everybody. I mean, I think it is, you know, whenever that light gets opened up, there's certain common things that always happen. There's always beings that come to greet someone, right? There's whether they're loved ones or spirit guides or um, animals, you know, um, ancestors, you know, um, famous people <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I've seen come too that have passed, mm -hmm. you know. You made, me, you made me think of a, a, a story about my father who was um, on, on his deathbed for five years. He, he suffered with the same disease that Bruce Willis has called frontotemporal dementia. Um, and actually, they've discovered recently that it seems like it, it could possibly be an immune disease, not a brain disease, uh, and that the cells of the brain are being eaten away. But that's not guaranteed, of course. And I don't understand that complexity of it. But anyway, my, so my father was in the state of infancy for about five years. My mother took care of him all day, every day he was at home. And, um, on the night that his aunt, my great aunt Etta passed away, he had some kind of, um, attacks. So it, it seemed like it could have been, um, a stroke of some kind or, or something like that. But it happened at the exact time that my, that his aunt passed and he was very close to her. Um, but it was just so interesting. And I, we're, we were certain that he must've um, connected with her in some way as she passed. Uh, it, it just seemed so clear. And so, yeah, I, I think, I think everybody has that kind of encounter in the transition. Steve Jobs's last words were, wow, wow, wow. You know, what, what, what did he see? What did he um, feel? What did he know in that moment? So you mentioned death doulas. Yeah. Um, would you share for people listening who might not really know what a death doula does exactly what they do from your perspective, at least? Yeah. I mean, uh, to me, a death doula, and it, yeah, I've read books about it. I've listened to podcasts. I really immersed myself in it because I wanted to understand that this was a path I thought I might want to take. Um, a death doula is, is someone who works with someone who's in the process of dying to offer them support, to offer them guidance, to help them, you know, unpack and understand the situation they're going through and really get them ready to make that crossing. Um, they work not only with the person that's in the process of, of passing, but it work, they work with family members, loved ones. Um, you know, they, um, if we, we all know what doulas do during childbirth, right? It's, it's a similar thing. Instead of meeting, meeting the child coming in, we're meeting the person going out, mm -hmm. um, you know, and they have to be able to hold this, um, immense space for someone. Um, and most deaf doulas, you know, work from a, a place of being able to connect easily with the other side. Um, there are people that can, who work as a psychopomp, but aren't focused on lost souls. So focused on, on the living, mm. um, you know, but even when we work with lost souls, we're still, we're still focused on the living. They're still people. They're just in a different phase of, of people themselves. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, there are some I think there are some death doulas who um, actually train to with with shamans. I think there's an, actually a particular woman and I can't remember her name who um, offers this training to actually walk the path of death 
with the person that they're sitting with. So they don't just sit and provide services for the family and help negotiate through some of the emotional crises, crises that occur when you're losing someone. And they don't just sit and hold the hand of the person who's passing and, and help there to be beauty and peace around them as the process unfolds, but they also go with the person as they're crossing and walk with them as far as they can. And, you know, it, it makes me think of the, uh, the Tibetan book of the dead and, and the belief that um, there are phases after we pass, that it's not just goodbye, you know, it's that you travel through certain dimensions, energies, phases, and you experience them. And the more peacefully you can experience them, the more, um, the easier the transition is going to be. And perhaps if you believe in this, in, in this aspect of, of Buddhism, uh, that you can reincarnate into an easier existence because of the peace that you you know, experienced as you got there. Yes, absolutely. They're working through stages of things. They're surrendering into death, I think, as, as our crossing. And as you surrender and you let go into the death, I've seen people and I've seen spirits show me people, some people go to this place that almost resembles a hospital or a recovery home and they need to recover from this life, mm -hmm. from the traumas, from the pain, from the way they died, from just all these things that happen to us here. Just like um, a baby who's born into this world needs to recover for months after the birth. It's the same thing. Yeah. The 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 fourth trimester, right? You know, as, as a mother, that's something I saw with my own child. I saw I saw that not only her going through that process, but myself needing to go through that process, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um the birth I had that was a major floodgate for me in terms of my ability as an intuitive, you know, mm -hmm. it was, I had learned how to fold things away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think within these abilities and these ways of looking at things that once I had my daughter, I, I it all, it, I couldn't fold it away anymore. And there was mm -hmm. a million reasons why I couldn't, you know, it was a pain. It was the physicality of the pain. It was, it was the emotional aspect of the pain. It was the transition. It was, you know, I think um, walking this, mine between life and death in that I you know I needed to have an emergency c-section um uh -huh. you know so it was you know after two days of labor that's that's where I wound up you know Ooh, um wow. yeah and I can still remember the moment of having my daughter and I'm telling this story because there's something else that that I think ties into it but to come out and say it isn't going to make sense unless I tell the story I remember you know being on that um operating table and I didn't feel anything I had you know was you know completely numb, but I could feel this sort of tugging as, as they were, you know, on my body as they were, you know, bringing her mm. into this world. And when they cut you open, there's blood that comes out. And I remember hearing the blood hit the floor. And there's something I think too, in the power of our experiences, sometimes when we die or we give birth, or we do things that's connected to the blood, the blood, you know, and connected to the life in there. And I think, um, for me, there's something in that that I'm kind of working through and understanding, you know, what, what that is about, you know, my story and how I work too. Mm -hmm. um, and I also had growing up in your death experience. And I was going to ask you, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. You know, I had, uh, I, it, you know, wound up rupturing my spleen. I fell and fell on something. Um, and I was in the intensive care. I needed to have a blood in an intensive care unit, needed to have a blood transfusion. And I remember the feeling of the blood coming into my body. I could, this sort of coldness and this mm -hmm. sort of 
but there was something energetic there and I had no words or tools to describe what that meant at the time. I was 14, about to be 15, but still like that's no difference really. Um, and I remember being in this sort of um, altered state. I remember, you know, I, I knew that I wasn't like in the land of the living anymore. Like I knew I wasn't in the same world, but I also wasn't dead either. And I remember beings coming around me, around the me in the hospital bed and feeling this. And I, there was so many beings and there was this sort of, sort of love and acceptance. And I don't think I ever really had felt in my life, you know, before that, you know. Um, and that was a time in my life when the experiences I had as a child, I had kind of started to learn how to fold them away and not deal with them. And I learned what worked. There was tricks, you know, if I sleep with the lights on. I'm mm -hmm. not going to see them. You know, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to see them. And things came flooding back to me after that in the sense that that's when my, you know, they started to turn things up a notch. But it really wasn't until I had my daughter that I was ready to face it, mm. that I was ready to really own it, that I realized I had no other choice but to deal right. with it. Right, right. There's no choice here. You you better own yeah. it because <laughs> here yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and. The idea of it being both an emotional and physical pain that is that creates such a level of suffering in that moment, and the fact that that can become a floodgate, uh, I, I think is not uncommon. I, I know it's not mm -hmm. uncommon, and and, I, and it's all varying levels of pain. It's it's interesting that you had your near death experience at the age of 14, 15, which is of course the age where you would be considered someone who is becoming a woman or becoming a man. And that's when in, in many cultures, yeah, the, the idea of being pushed into a faux near death experience to make them become adults yeah. uh, was so common. Yeah. It, just, it just makes me think of that. Um, but you know, imagine we lived in a society still where we understood that, where we still lived in a way that maybe felt more connected to the the other side, to mm -hmm. nature, to the world around us. And we still had the belief in these rituals and holding this space and offering this mentorship and support and educating people on these things that maybe I could have flourished and blossomed at that time. You know, for me, the anchoring connection of the past lives that we've had. And I use the word past because they're not really in the past, right? They're all unfolding in this right one now. unified moment. Yeah. Right. You know, oh, beautiful way to put it. This one unified moment. I love that. But right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when we do this work, that's what we're chasing, right? We're chasing the, we're chasing the oneness of everything, like how mm -hmm. we're all really connected, mm -hmm. you know, um, how we can all really connect with each other. Um, and that's all we're doing when we work with people, right? We're just holding space for those moments and those stories. Um, yep. 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 It, it's yeah. like, I, I don't, um, I don't, I don't know what we are doing when we are working with spirit, when we are working in the circle, when I sit with someone, when you sit with someone, I don't know what we're doing exactly. Are we connecting to the spirit of a past human being? Are we connecting to their energy imprint that they've left behind and, and a specific story that they want told that has remained? Are we connecting to the person we're sitting with um, memories of that person? Are we connecting to the energy of that? You know, so that I, I never purport to know exactly what's going on. What, what is your, what do you think evil is? Do you think that evil is an entity do you think that it is um, the 
reflection of the collective unconscious and and all of the suffering and pain that we hold within that is not processed and goes out into the world and creates these behaviors and actions is it energetic what what do you think it is it's a it's a big question um, but <laughs> it, it's a huge question and it's one I've actually really had to think about after some experiences I had um I think evil is the unrecognized shadow it's a shadow that we haven't allowed ourselves to um see or it's, it's part of the shadow of the lessons we need to learn or the experiences we need to have i don't think anything is without the possibility of light going into it let's define what evil is you know what i mean like what are what are we referring to here are we refer you know what i mean like because to me evil is the outcome the an act that results from a certain state of being i think there are beings in this world that do work to influence people mm -hmm. um to do things that are maybe not 100 percent in the element of their control that they're darker beings in this world but i still think somewhere in there there's that light I, absolutely. or the ability to bring it to it you know um I, I think it can be um transmuted i think that energy can mm -hmm. be transmuted i i do think it's I do think it's a, a real thing, but I, I mm -hmm. and I agree that there, there is still light in it. And I also agree that there is also partially here, uh, just a process of healing that has to take place for humans and that that's how it's being expressed. That the, yeah. maybe it's partially that humans have such a hard time. We have such a hard time facing our emotions still that we don't process things. And we teach our children to, you know, stop crying, be quiet, you know, don't, don't show so much of this and that and hide this mm -hmm. and that. So we learn this and all of us across the board, I think even those with the best intentions to try and help us not hide. We live in a society that expects us to hide a lot of things. And so maybe that hiding is what creates this energy of this very raucous, dangerous, explosive energy that creates these um, actions. That Absolutely. We, we all have went through and are still going through processes of, of ourselves that we feel we need to hide, you know, and then I think that for me that I'm at the point of my focus is the integration of all of these things into my life. So I don't have to feel like being an intuitive or a medium is separate than being a mother or a wife or a boss at work or, a, you know, um, a daughter that I can integrate this side of myself into all aspects of my life, you know, mm -hmm. by being having... You know, we, we learn to trust, but we also have to learn and trust to be who we are, you know, and I think, because um, I'm not sure how I got that out of what you're saying, but well, I think it's I, all connected, you know. I also want to note that as you were talking, I heard, I'm not sure if it was just sound, you know, um, being deformed, like some kind of sound issue, or if it was a voice, but I, I did, I made a voice out of it. I matrixed it at the very least, and it sounded like a voice mm -hmm. that was that said something and maybe even came close to saying your name, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah. The, uh, interesting that you, you say they came close to saying my name. That is still to this day, one of the ways I know I need to pay attention. I hear my name. Mm -hmm. I hear it on the subway. I hear it at work. I hear mm -hmm. it in the, in, in the night, you know, I, I hear it and I know. Yeah. I remember. I need to pay attention. <laughs> I remember before I was fully connected with, what with my own spiritual gifts and um expressing them the way that I do 
I would hear, I'd wake up or I'd be just about to fall asleep and I'd hear very clearly either my name or something else, a word mm -hmm. from in a totally different voice. And there are explanations for that. There are scientific explanations about the, you know, chemicals or whatever's happening when you're about to drift off into, into sleep. But mm -hmm. it wasn't only during those times that it would happen. But at the time before I came into myself as, as someone who is connected to and pursuing my spiritual gifts, it scared me. It was like, wow, what, that's, what is that? You know, it, it's just so clear right there. What is that? I'm sure there are many people listening to, to this now who are, would not call themselves mediums, don't even necessarily have a curiosity about it, who have mm -hmm. experienced the exact same thing. I think many people experience that and, and choose to believe a lot of times the scientific explanation for it. Um, but why not both? Why not both the scientific and the metaphysical explanation? Oh, absolutely. Like I think I think that's where the sweet spot is. You know what I'm saying? And I think I think the science is going to prove this all one day. Yeah, I I don't yeah. know that we'll be around to experience it. Maybe we will. Things are moving quickly. Um, maybe not in this lifetime, right? But... Right. In this, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe though. I mean, there there's mm -hmm. still there's apparently even now. Um, there is the ability through AI to transfer consciousness from one place to another so that however it works, um, my consciousness could be taken to your room, your house, mm -hmm. and we could be having this conversation face-to-face -face as opposed to- Wow, yeah. Uh, it was, uh, it well, was something that was shown at some AI conference a few years ago that it's, it's a true thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. I believe it. And, and, and kind of just look at where we kind of came from working. You know, we- Every week before the pandemic, we brought ourselves every Monday night to this same space to work mm -hmm. together in person, mm -hmm. right? And then the pandemic hit, so we were forced to move everything to the telephone. Nothing changed. If anything, I think something came that maybe wasn't there before in a way, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And we understand that time and space and location, none of that means anything, right? So mm -hmm. why would something being in a computer having conscious any different than a body right or a, it's just a container it's all just a container right right yeah I think I think that was the question though is it actually your consciousness or is it AI's version of your consciousness so that's where the danger comes yeah in. I don't know but um maybe the AI is something that will save us you know um, yeah I still don't quite understand why it's such a dangerous thing I'm sure I just don't I'm not I'm missing something probably I I kind mm -hmm. of at this point look at it the same way. I think we've talked about this before, but I look at it the same way as um, someone who was experiencing electricity for the first time. They're so accustomed to candlelight and then suddenly you can turn the lights on and be completely awake at night and not have limitations of darkness and how scary that was yeah. for many people. I, I oh, heard, yeah. Yeah, I heard, I heard a scientist who was on in a documentary about Tesla um, was talking about he was old enough to have his have a grandmother or a great grandmother who he knew who experienced that transition of electricity. Maybe she lived in a town that was a little more remote or something. And so it was not as it, it happened much later, but she was still so nervous about electricity that she would use those little baby plugs on on sockets because she feared that the energy was going to be seeping out of the, of this um, outlet. So it's, it's a similar, and, and I don't judge that 
because mm-hmm. first of all, maybe maybe she's right, first of all. And second of all, um, it's it's only natural to fear something that's just that changes things so dramatically. I think the reason that I don't see how it's dangerous is because I don't quite understand how it changes things so dramatically yet. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I'm sure there are things we can do more easily, I know, and it can plan travel for you and this and that, things like that. But to me, I don't see, I don't have the imagination yet to see where that could go. I'm I'm sure at some mm-hmm. point that will shift and I'll recognize how dangerous it could become. Right now, I don't see it. So yeah, I just, well, you know, I as- think we, we bring the way we are to anything. So if we're someone who views the world as not a dangerous place that we, that we trust enough to see that love is ultimately what's going to come through. The light is what's going to come through. You know, even if we can acknowledge other things, then we're okay there. But some mind that doesn't have that ability to have that perception, they're going to, they're going to see the doom and gloom in everything around every corner. Right. So it's, yeah. And I I, I feel like that's it. (laughs) I do understand that perspective because it, it's hard to fathom the way that the powers that be, uh, appear to treat the the common person and and the struggle for power and the way we're all always struggling for power and grasping at power so it is easy to be um to to be pessimistic about where things are going when things feel so mm-hmm. pessimistic now but i tend to agree with you i think that we're just we're evolving to a place where we are going to begin to see the the love in all things, have compassion, have forgiveness, be willing to yeah. face the truth in every moment and not blame. I, I think we're heading to that place and therefore power will become less of an yeah. of an object that we chase. Yeah. I And I think too, something I think that is um, getting harder to kind of step away from when we look at everything, whether we're talking about spirits or psychopomps, in a lot of the work that we've doing in the last like maybe two years or so, really seeing the extraterrestrial celestial contact kind of coming in and the things that they're showing us and seeing how ingrained with technology they are and how how it is a huge part of whether it's from the ships that they're using or you know the the modes in which they're able to communicate or get here they've embraced that side of things in a way that they've been able they're able to harness it you know, yeah. they're able to use it in a way that is propelling not only their own conscious consciousness and ascension forward. So like, I want to, I want to see that that possibility is there for us here on this planet, you know? Yeah. And um, just, just for the people who are listening, you, we, you mentioned earlier, the shamanic journeys that we experienced, you mentioned some of the places that we went in those experiences. Would you just explain exactly what it is that we're doing with that shamanic journey? journeying is and and also then the way that those ets present themselves in that process when i first started to do shamanic journeying i worked with um a shaman who had been working you know doing this for maybe 30 or 40 years at this point the first thing he did you know was you know create the you know he created the space we set our attentions you know he did some drumming you know that kind of like brought me into a deeper space and then I saw as and what he was guiding me through is we walked through this fog, you know, and once we went through the fog, it came into the first past life I ever experienced mm. um, with my own eyes, where it wasn't someone telling me the life that I had. It was the one that I saw from my own eyes. And he was saying something and I was seeing it, you know, I, that moment for the longest time when I journeyed, whether it was on my own or 
when I started to do group work with other people, I had to go through the fog to get there, right? I had to literally walk myself through the fog. And then it got to the point where now it's almost like, it's not a, a switch we need to flip. It's almost we're just one thought or second away from being able to go into that that plane of existence, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just so wild and liberating to be able mm-hmm. to be in this experience where you see what someone else is seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is. Uh, it's, yeah. it's amazing how how the experiences overlap in incredible ways. Uh, it 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 really is. Um, it shows how connected we all are, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's it's very healing in the end as well. You you feel as though you've learned something, gained something. Um, yeah, yeah. And sometimes you know, a, to do solo journeying is one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that has one purpose and one sort of. Um, something to teach you and it's a deeply personal thing it's a you know where you're really focused on yourself not that you're not focused on yourself when you're doing journeys because sometimes the journey becomes about you and other people are holding this space for you and they can see things you can't see they can um access information you can't access they can help you work through your fears you know and help you work through all of these things and then they're doing it for you and then you do it for them and it becomes and sometimes you're doing it for a spirit that needs to be caught. Sometimes you're doing it for the collectiveness of humanity, you know, after something happened or something's about to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so rich and it's like the whole world is contained within our ability to shamanic journey and to go really to, I say we go to the other side. I think, I think that that's accurate, you know, but there's so many different other sides, I think, to go mm-hmm. to, right? Yeah, it feels, it also feels like moving right to the center of something, you know, it it feels like the center of all that is, you know, and just accessing something that we are being shown we need to access in that moment. Absolutely. I um recently did some, I, I'm going to use the word channeling, but really it was probably just a shamanic journey that I was able to, you know, really um, write as I was having the journey and get to it. And they brought me to a tree. They might be to a base of a tree. Um, trees have been coming up a lot, I think, for me, not only lately, but on this journey that I'm on. And they showed me that, you know, if we're sitting and at the base of a tree, it's almost like the middle world, right? The some version of the world we're on now, we can access that tree by climbing up and going to the branches. And that's the upper world. That's our extension. And we can also take the roots and do the same thing and go to the underworld, you mm-hmm. know, go to, um, you know, a place where the deceased and our ancestors are, you know, and they showed me how this tree kind of became the center of it all, like the center of our, our gravity gravitational point where that was us in this moment, in this life, having this experience. But all of the other parts of the trees could be connected to all of these other experiences we could have or these other places that we could have to go. But that was like the center kind of grounding point because the tree is so grounding, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing like the energy of a tree to ground you and to pull you into the moment to help you surrender into the present. And I think um, you can sometimes be journeying in this other world and be more present than you would if you were just firmly planted in this world without any spiritual experience going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's in those moments of presence that certain uh, energies or um, beings come through, as you mentioned, right. The, 
Um, mm-hmm. The ET energy seems to show up a lot uh, through it. Um, right. That's, that's your experience. Oh, of it. absolutely. Yeah. The extraterrestrials, I think are kind of, at least they appear to be from the perception and the place that I'm in right now, they seem to be overarching somehow connecting it all somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, and sometimes it's elementals that come through. Um, for me right now, there's all this goddess energy coming in, you know, mm. that's right now, like how the divine is, is packaging itself for me. But I know that that's not the only package that I had, you know, the only experience that I've had or the only experience that I will have, you know, it's just what's kind of speaking to me now for a whole host of reasons, you know. Mm-hmm then that's why doing shamanic journeying with intent, I think is so important. It's great to go in open and to do whatever work that needs to be done or to have whatever experience that you have to have. But the more we start to work with it consciously and start to really think about what we need from it, us having this conversation, being in a space and a society that allows us to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. If we were women having this conversation 500 years ago, we would be hung or burned at a stake or we, you know, who knows what else, you know, like, yep. yeah, yep. you know, and in some ways it feels like too, if we look at our society too closely, we start to see the return of some of those things, you know, um, but yeah. that's why having these conversations and being open and honest and really speaking the truth of who we are, I think is so important, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It was amazing. Um, what is your what is your social media that you would like to share? Um, my social media is um, my website is from shadows to light.com. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram um, on that same handle. So from shadows to light. To light.com. Okay. okay. Great. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Dana. And to our thank listeners. You. Yes, absolutely. And to our our listeners, thank you for joining. We love you.